I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Uh, This year, hip-hop turned 50. And to celebrate the groundbreaking contributions, uh, the genre, the music, the dancing that hip-hop has added to culture, we here at Q did an entire week devoted to hip-hop. So Tom talked to photographers, to rappers, uh, and dancers about the impact of hip-hop on our culture right now. And one of those sort of pioneering voices belongs to Buddha Stretch. For decades, Stretch has been a key player in hip-hop dance. He even came up with the term himself. Uh, He'll talk about the experience of watching an art form just start and develop around you, not in schools, not in a formal setting, but on the streets and at parties and at roller rinks. Uh, Stretch started dancing in the early 80s. He was later part of two legendary dance crews, Mop Top and Elite Force. And as a dancer and choreographer, he went on to work with everyone, Eric B., Rakim, uh, Will Smith, to pop acts like Mariah Carey and Michael Jackson. So what happens when hip-hop goes from the tapes you pass around in high school to a global phenomenon? Here's Tom Power's conversation with the award-winning dancer and choreographer, Buddha Stretch. Hi, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? Thank you for having me. It's a great, great joy to have you. Can you believe uh, 50 years of hip-hop? Yeah, there are some people that seem to dispute that number, but uh, from the people that I know and the pioneers that I've met, 50 years is an amazing time and it's uh, a great year and time to celebrate the fact that we have 50, that we've had the culture for 50 years. When did you first hear the music? Like, when did you first discover, like, hip-hop music? Um, When I was really younger, I didn't know what hip-hop music was. The first music that I heard were from uh, tapes. They were uh, tapes of uh, hip-hop battles with, uh, like, the Cold Crush Brothers. What's up, fly guy? Hello, fly girl. It's the big throwdown. All right, Harlem world. The Cold Crush Boys. This is Fantastic Five. And they ain't no cop. We'll eat them alive. Because we're the best. And when it comes to... Um, the Force MCs, who would actually become the Force MDs and as singers. We are, we are the Force. Those were the hip hop tapes that were passed around. You know, one person have a copy and they would let somebody copy, and then you heard copies of a copy of a copy. Isn't it amazing, like going from something that was passed around in like school to becoming like, I don't know, like a worldwide global phenomenon? Yeah, that's the beauty of it. It's it, it it's the idea of it wasn't about what it became. It wasn't about consumerism and capitalism. It was about expression. And that's the strength of the culture. It it it's self-expression and I think that's why it's such a global phenomenon. It, it gives the individual a chance to have a say and an and audience. 
I want to talk to you about hip hop dance. So, my doing the research that I have, I know you like grew up with dancing in the home and you grew up surrounded by dancing. But like my understanding, it was like sort of a combination of seeing people dance on Soul Train and then like your cousin at a party that got you interested in in this kind of dance. Am I right about that? Yeah, it was actually a a dance, the dance called Popping. It was on Soul Train. And I had been watching Soul Train most of my life, uh, just, you know, as a young kid, learning about the music and listening, you know, that was our MTV uh, before there was an MTV. And I saw this dance on Soul Train. Okay, as, as you may know, they, these very creative young men have invented uh, a dancing style that's becoming very popular. And it's described as popping or boogaloo or creeping. creeping. Right, creeping Sam? Right. Creeping and they'll Sam. do it this time to the bar case. Here we go. But it didn't inspire me to want to do the dance until I saw my cousin live doing the dance that I saw on TV. And seeing him do it was the inspiration for me because I felt like if he can do it, I can do it. You know, it was it was more relative to me seeing my cousin do it than seeing someone on television do it. Could you do it well right away? Were you good at it right away? Uh, no, I don't think I was good at it right <laughs> away at all. Um, it took time and practice. So it, 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 at this point, it's it's good to mention to people who are listening to this that when we talk about like dance within hip hop, I we were like, well, the way I say it, it sounds like it's a it's a monolith. Like it's a really nuanced term. There are a lot of different forms within it. And um, I've heard you talk a little bit about that this is a good piece of music to understand the nuance of hip-hop dance. Just take a listen to this. So Stretch, can you tell us what we're listening to right now and why it's a good song to help understand hip-hop dance? A funk song and that we played that we heard constantly at uh, Rolling Ring. And the reason why it's a great song is because it's describing the techniques used in hip hop dance. Uh, that's one of the songs that I use to teach about, you know, hip hop technique, uh, what people call grooves. Uh, that, that song, you know, is basically singing about uh, movement. And there's actually a line dance that goes with that song. And we use that myself and uh, one of my crewmates, Link. We use that and teach that line dance to teach people the techniques behind the dance. I should mention, and and maybe we should just clear this up for people who are listening to this. When we talk about hip-hop dance, um, we're talking about something different than popping, what we were talking about earlier. earlier. And we're, we're talking about something different than like breaking, which I think people might be familiar with. Yes. What it is, is hip hop dance is uh, an amalgamation of those dances. It takes the technique from popping and the stylization uh, from breaking top rock and uh, floor rock and combines them, but also combines them with whatever the latest popular social dance is at the moment. And you're doing this combination of these three things spontaneously. And that's the freestyle element. It's not pre-set moves. It's 
you know, uh, you're trying to express yourself using these movements in tandem. You have the you have the sort of like formative um, dancing of that time, you know, breaking and, and popping, and then you have sort of any sort of contemporary styles that are coming in, anything that's kind of happening in, in pop culture, and it's all kind of it's all kind of folded in in the moment, is what you're saying? Yes, because the the moment is in the music. When you hear a particular uh, piece of of music, it's going to inspire a particular way of movement. And the beauty of the dance is it, it connects directly to the music. There are different cadences and rhythms in hip-hop. You know, there are different kinds of hip-hop. You know, you have uh, classic hip-hop, which was uh, more in tune with live musicianship. Then you had the electronic age with Planet Rock and others. And then you had the boom bap. And then you have trap. And now you have drill. And so all of those different styles of hip-hop music have different movements, you know, that accompany it. So when you were starting out at the, at the beginning days of hip-hop dance, what was the scene like? The thing about it in early on in hip-hop is you had basically, it was breaking and then each uh, B-boy, B-girl crew would have one or two poppers as a part of the crew. And, you know, you learned how to do a little bit of everything. That's the difference, I think, in terms of the culture. Back then, when you had the dance, everyone learned different aspects of the dance, and then you had particular people who were good and did specialized movements in the dance. But you learned everything. Like As a, a, a dancer, when I was in my first crew, I learned how to break, I learned how to pop, I learned graffiti. I learned how to DJ. I learned how to MC. Yeah. You did the culture. You didn't do one thing. You did all of hip hop in one thing. You did so. You yes. did all of hip hop in yourself. Not just you were just a rapper. Not just you were a dancer. Yeah, you did everything, and then you got good at something in particular, and you focused on that. But you could still do everything. But and I, it's the same in the dance. If you were good at footwork. You were good at footwork, but you had to have something else. Like you still practiced uh, specific movements. You had to learn how to do a backspin. You had to learn how to do headspins. You had to learn how to float, how to glide, how to wave. You know, everyone, you learned everything. That didn't mean you were good at everything, but you learned everything. But I feel like in, in those in those days, you weren't just good at it. And I'm going to be a bit of a nerd here for a second. Like you weren't just good at it. You were like... Um, you were also interested in like developing it as a form of a like vernacular dance. Like you were interested in, in, in the development of hip hop dance as a form. Well, that's the thing. It developed naturally because as I said, once you get into it and you get good at something, you're going to investigate where that's coming from and where you can take it. And that investigation is going to lead you to the connections of the dance. That that's the beauty of, uh, of the dance. It's growing. It, it, it's an outgrowth of the music and it happens naturally once you've invested into it. So in that case, it must have been so exciting to watch that dance develop within a community. Well, yeah, that's the beauty of it. When you're, it's exciting because you're dancing with people. Yeah. It's not, you're not in, you know, in your house dancing in the mirror trying to come up with something. It's a social uh, connection with the music and the people that you're around. And the dance is built through interaction. If I'm doing one step, 
someone's dancing with me, they're putting their spin on what I'm doing. And I pick up on what they're doing and then I put my spin back on it. And then someone else will join in on the conversation. And now we have different variations of the same thing, which builds up the repertoire uh, of what we're doing. We, we no longer have one step. We have five or six steps. And then we flip that into another step. And now we're building the dance as we're going. That, that's the, the beauty of it because you're, the interaction of dancing with someone and creating in the moment, you know, the spontaneity of it. It's so it's so exciting even just to hear you talking about it. like where where were the like paint me a picture of where the where this was kind of happening like what kind of parties were you going to what kind of events were you going to like it all sounds so so exciting like where were you dancing in those early days well early on we were uh, we're too young to get into clubs so we were getting fake IDs to try to get into clubs but a lot of the times uh, the first clubs that we went to were roller rink. <laughs> The, the youth, because hip-hop was a youth culture, you went to the roller rinks and then uh, at particular time, the end of the roller rink, at the end of the night, they would stop, you know, the skating part and the last hour, two hours of the roller rink would just be party and people would dance. You'd take off your skates and dance. There's a party in the house and we'll be rocking tonight. So bring your body with you, baby, and I'll make you feel right. That's one of the first uh, places that things would happen outside of when you had park jams or block parties. Now, a park jam is when someone sets up in a park and they set up the music and the people just come and, and party together. And then you have block parties where each block uh, is cut off and the neighbors come out and exchange food and information. And that's how you, you met the people in your neighborhood. And then over time, music and dance were introduced to the block party. So you would travel uh, in the summertime from block to block. Each block would have their own block party and different music and people. And you would meet the people in your neighborhood and you would see the dance, you know, grow in that way. Hey, girls. Beat boys. Superstar DJs. Here we go. It's again. It's it's just exciting to hear about. One thing I'm I'm curious about is, um, I mean, I've been calling you Stretch. You you know, you're, you're to reintroduce you here. Your name is, is Buddha Stretch, and your father introduced you to Buddhism at the same time as you were discovering um, the scene and discovering dancing and discovering and discovering hip hop. Um, was there overlap there? Like, did did having Buddhism be introduced into your life? That either that spirituality or or that practice or that anchor did that give anything to your dancing at the time? I gave it focus. Uh, I mentioned my dad all the time is because his introducing me to Buddhism and chanting for meditation is what gave my dance and all the aspects of my applications in hip hop culture uh, a unique focus. Now I was able to focus in on what I'm doing. Also to look at it from, I approach the culture from a Buddhist standpoint. I always approach the culture from a standpoint of balance. You know, uh, a stand, a standpoint things. of balance? Yeah, because in Buddhism, one of the, the aspects of Buddhism is the middle way is to find balance. Yeah. You're, not, you're not going to extremes. You know, extremes take you off balance. But if you stay in the middle, you can move 
you know, side to side, front to back and remain calm. You can r- remain in, in, in uh, a space of uh, calmness and reason. And I think in hip hop culture, that allowed me to focus my energies in ways that wouldn't take me into extremes where I would be out of, you know, I would be able to, because growing up, I had a really bad temper, Hmm. you know, and that helped me, you know, I inherited that temper from both of my parents. My dad had a very bad temper and my mother did too. And my dad's introduction of Buddhism helped me calm that and helped me see things from a, a standpoint of always looking at it from a reasonable standpoint, always coming at things from a calm standpoint where I could reason and, and I could approach things from, you know, not from an, just an emotional standpoint, but from a, a, a calm and a, a meditative standpoint where I could, un- there would be a better understanding of what I'm doing. And that uh, approach had, you know, immediately paid dividends in my dance life, in my music life, in the entire culture. It changed, you know, everything about how I saw the culture. I mean, your your name too. I'm guessing. Well, yeah, that that came out of uh, after a, a couple of years. I'd say it was almost a decade of studying Buddhism uh, and traveling and meeting other people who were Buddhist and also Hindu and learning different things. Every time I came home from traveling, I would tell my father about what I met and what I learned. And he started to call me Master Stretch. And at the time I was in my 20s and I was very uncomfortable with being called the master of anything. And so one of my best friends and my crewmate, uh, Khalif, is who came up with that designation. He said, I, I, I see that you're uncomfortable with Master Stretch, you know, with Pops calling you Master Stretch. So I'm going to call you Buddha Stretch. Mm. And it stuck. It, it, it was transformative at that time because it made me understand like, OK, now this is this designation that I have to live up to. You know, so I approached everything from that standpoint of how would Shakamuni go about this? You know, how would Maitreya go about this? How would they look at this? How could I apply their philosophy and their perspective to what I'm doing so that I do it? to the best of my ability and from a standpoint of it doesn't just benefit me, it benefits everyone I come in contact with. I love that. I love hearing about uh, the middle way or like uh, equanimity, whatever, whatever you want to call it, how it, how it uh, impacted both your art your, your, and your personal life and, and your family. It's, it's, it's a really um, kind of compelling story. I have, I have more music I want to play for you. I want you to take a listen to this. Okay. <laughs> so Buddha Stretch, can you tell me what that is and why we're playing it for you? Uh, that's Eric B. and Rod Kim. Eric B. for president, 1986. <laughs> that's right. Why are we why are we playing that for you, you think? Uh, that's the well, that was one of the biggest songs of 1986, but it's also the first uh, music video that I had ever done that was never released and the first time I got to work with uh well the second time that I got to work with an artist you know as a a dancer and choreographer 
It must have been so exciting, hey? I mean, you were, you were telling me a little bit about dancing in clubs and in roller rinks and, and like, at, at block parties and stuff like that. But it must have been exciting when you were able to, like, capture it on video. Well, yeah, it was that, that was the thing. Uh, prior to that point, I had never done – I had done a music video before that with a local R&B act years before. But we never got to see what we were doing, and that video was never released. When we shot Eric B. for President, we shot it at uh, Long Island University in Brooklyn. And the thing about it is as they were shooting, we would, we would get to see what they shot. So we, it was the first time seeing myself dance. Wow, really? And then, yeah, and then the following year, I went on tour with uh, Houdini. And one of the people that worked with Eric B. is a, a friend of mine. His name is Sonny. He actually showed me the video when we were on tour. And that was the first time I got to see us dance together, you know, on screen and to see what we were doing. Because prior to that, there were no video cameras you know, we didn't get to see what we look like. That, uh, that's my, yeah, yeah, like that, obviously that's mind blowing to me. I'm just thinking about like now, I, I have a thing in my pocket right now, strange. Exactly. That I could use to, like, I know exactly how to record everything all the time. The idea that you were dancing, not just dancing, but like dancing for years, developing a style and being part of a community that developed a style, and you didn't really know what you looked like doing it. That's wild. Yeah, we, we only got, we only knew what it, what it felt like. And the response from the audience when we dance or seeing someone else doing what you're doing is nice, but it's not seeing yourself doing it. So to, to be able to look at a, 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 a clip of yourself dancing and you actually see what you're doing and you, you see like it actually looks how it feels. Sometimes it looks better than how it feels. So it was mind boggling when we first started doing music videos to see what we were doing. And it was like, wow, okay. Make a clap to this. Make, make, a, clap, make a clap to this. Make a, make a clap to this. Make, 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 a, make a clap to this. I never let the mic magnetize me no more, but it's biting me, biting me, inviting me to rhyme. I can't hold it back. I'm looking for the line, taking off my coat, clearing my throat. From 1986, you're listening to Eric B. and Rakim. Uh, Eric B. is president. One of the first videos, Buddha Stretch, the award-winning dancer and choreographer ever danced in. Before that, you heard the first part of Tom's conversation with Stretch. Coming up, you're going to hear what it was like when Stretch taught one of his heroes how to hip-hop dance and try to convince that hero who was a mega, 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 mega superstar to go to a club in disguise. That's coming up here on Q. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. 
you're not going to understand the, the movement if you don't understand the music. And the music is tied directly to the culture. So there are, you know, nuances to specific movement that you're not going to understand if you don't understand where that those nuances come from. That's Buddha Stretch, who embodies those nuances, quite literally, physically, as a dancer. Uh, I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power, and you're in the middle of Tom's conversation with Buddha Stretch, award-winning dancer, choreographer, and pioneer of hip-hop dance. Stretch has had a long career. Uh, he earned his stripes in the 80s, performing in roller ranks and clubs, and then went on to be the first call choreographer for artists like Mariah Carey and Will Smith. But back in 1992... Stretch had one of his most memorable moments teaching hip-hop dance to his dance hero. Here's the rest of Tom Power's conversation with Buddha Stretch. MJ. MJ is right. (laughs) Michael Jackson, remember the time? 92, I think, right? 92, yes. Yeah. You taught Michael Jackson hip-hop dance? Yes. Shout out to Fatima Robinson. We taught Michael Jackson hip-hop dance. Tell me Uh, about that. It was the, you know, uh, after the the birth of my daughters, it's the most, uh, the greatest experience in my life, basically, to be in a room with the king of pop, someone that I grew up watching, watching perform, dance, sing on television, you know, and to be in a room and to be teaching him, first of all, to for him to be asking questions about this dance that my father used to kick me out of the house for <laughs> was just, you know, amazing to me because I'm like, wow, Michael Jackson's interested in what I'm doing. And not only is he interested, he's asking all these questions and he literally wants to learn as much as he can in the moment. And he's, he was such a, 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 a student an astute professional of what he does that it was inspiring to watch because he's at the top of the food chain, yet he's working like he's still at the bottom of the food chain. Was he good right away? He was great because he didn't learn. Like normally when you're you're teaching someone choreography, you teach them or a step, you're teaching them by count. Michael Jackson didn't learn by count. You had to put the the step in rhythm and you had to explain it in rhythm. And once you explained it in rhythm, he could catch it, you know, really fast. Did you have any opportunity to ask him any questions? Like, did you did you ask him, like, hey, can you show me moonwalking or anything like that? Well, no. Uh, one of the things that we were asking him uh, that was in the conversation was, you know, had he ever because ex- he was asking us about the dance. And we're explaining like how, uh, you know, how we dance in the club together and how, you know, he didn't know what that felt like or, you know, about he had seen battles, you know, he knew about battles, but he had never seen one. So we were trying to get him to come to a club, yeah, you know, in disguise. And, you know, we tried to get him to put on some baggy jeans and a hoodie and, you know, baseball cap and some Timberlands or, or sneakers and just come to the club uh, with his face concealed and no one would know and he could actually see, you know, and experience what that was like. Yeah. And 
we almost got him there, but just before uh, his security and management talked him out of it. Oh, no. I was really hoping yeah. that story ended with him, you sneaking it yeah, in. Yeah, no. They, they talked him out of it because they didn't believe that we wouldn't let people know that he was it. And the thing about it was we were trying to explain, like, you don't have to let us know that you're there. Just show up. No one's going to believe that Michael Jackson's in a hoodie <laughs> and a, 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 a baseball cap with baggy pants on in the club. No one would recognize him. You know, he could put a scarf over his face or whatever. No one would believe that that's Mike. And he didn't have to, you know, let anyone know. But they took it like we would let people know and then paparazzi would show up yeah. and it would be a nightmare. And they didn't get it. So they talked him out of it. And we, he never got to come. Uh, it makes me kind of sad, you know, knowing like how influential he was in his in his dancing was like on the topic of, of teaching. Um, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because my, my understanding is and I was hoping you, you might be able to talk a bit about this. When you go into a, a choreography situation where you're teaching someone how to dance or you're working in choreography with with dancers. My understanding is that you don't just teach the dance you it's important to you that you teach about hip-hop broadly as a culture is that right well yeah you're not going to understand the, the movement if you don't understand the music and the music is tied directly to the culture so there are you know nuances to specific movement that you're not going to understand if you don't understand where that those nuances come from it's going to feel like like puppetry <laughs> if you don't if if you don't know it so when i teach the dance i teach the culture behind the dance i teach the understanding of how the dance connects with the music uh if you understand the music then it's much easier to understand the dance and the culture but if you don't then it's it's you know you you, you get people that 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 they're moving it feels weird to them and that's because they don't have an understanding once you have an understanding it feels completely different. Before we go, um, I'm going to close off by asking you the question that I've asked everybody who has come on the show for Hip Hop Week. And I'll let you right know right now, Stretch, it's not an easy question, but okay. it's, it's been interesting to see what, and what, what kind of different answers we've been getting from it. It's been 50 years of hip hop. What has hip hop given you? What has hip hop given me? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> A voice. Uh uh, a means of nonverbal communication. I've been to 69 countries. I don't speak 69 languages, uh, but in each of those places, I was able to have a conversation with the, 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 the people there and come to an understanding through music and culture. That's what hip hop has given. That's a beautiful, beautiful answer. Stretchman, what a joy to get to talk to you and, and hear a little bit about your, your expertise and a little bit about your history and your, and your ideas around, around this culture. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for having me. This was uh, really uh, fun. I, I, most of the interviews that I do are on video. So to do one on radio is so much more fun because, you know, the interaction is different because I, I can't see you. And, you know, the energy is different and different energy is what's needed. You learn from that. I, I like it because I don't have to get a haircut. 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, I don't know that we're doing this this way. So I'm trying, I got my, my wife's braiding my hair yeah. and trying to make sure that I, and then it's like, oh, I don't need to do any of this. So it's like, oh, this is even better. I don't have to get my look on for anything. I could just speak and be, you know, it's much more comfortable. Well, we're, we're really appreciative of you being here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of the podcast, but there's another episode in your feed right now. Uh, it is Tom's conversation with Elissa P, who has made one of the coolest musical projects I've heard in some time. She's taken a bunch of popular songs you've heard before, like Heart of Glass by Blondie, Time After Time by Cyndi Lauper, and translated them into Inuktitut. And in doing that, she's found these deep meanings and layers to the songs that you might not have thought of, um, even though we're super familiar with them in pop culture. The music is gorgeous. And the conversation is really interesting. You can find that in your feed right now. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power, and I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.